All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Energy, Jay Morrison of The Athletic. We're so close, Jay. We are, we are, we're just a couple tests away from training camp being here and maybe even a day where we can stand very socially distanced apart wearing our masks and very far away from the field and tell people what we're seeing on a football field, which could potentially basically just be people running around in circles. It, that's what it will be for a couple of weeks. But, uh, uh, yes, uh, the good news is I don't think we have to wear masks at practice. It's outdoors, and we're going to be – they've created a platform for us. We're going to be, like, on stage like we're a band. Um, and it's going to be 120 feet long, four feet high. And the great news – I checked with Bengals PR on this uh, because we are on this riser and obviously going to be far enough away where players wouldn't run into us. We can bring chairs. Ooh, I used to I, I used to famously the year after my back surgery. Uh, well, famously. Wow. Famously, like to me and no one else uh, <laughs> uh, I, in inside Bengals media circles. No one had ever dared really bring a chair before. But I felt I had a medical reason. And I don't know if it was an official exemption, but I did purchase. It was one of those small, tiny chairs that people take to golf tournaments that I can just flip open and flip close real quick and used it to sit that year. Um, I took many barbs uh, and, and uh, people made fun of me quite a bit for it. Uh, however, I really enjoyed it, so I really look forward to having uh, a chair for practice as well, and um, and, and nobody's, no fans are going to be there to make fun of me for it, which is even better. I do remember when you were going through that, there was this like internal dilemma. We would walk out of a press conference, and you're moseying along real slow, and it's like, do we just dust him and walk at our normal pace back to the media <laughs> room, or do we walk slow with Paul and kind of make him feel at home? It was, yeah. It was... Make, make him not feel so sad about himself. <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. Uh, lot, lot to, uh, lot to get to, and and we'll, we'll be trying to. We're gonna do as best as we can once training camp does open up to us on our little stage, um, to take you inside the sights and sounds. Obviously, no fans at training camp this year, so nobody's gonna be able to get inside of there. Um, it's so much to discuss in the how the NFL is dealing with COVID nineteen world that we're gonna get into some of it today, and obviously, what's the news with the Marlins and Major League Baseball is uh, the impact that it can have. You know, I don't. I don't want to overload this podcast with that sort of national discussion. I always try to keep things very Bengals centric, but inevitably, you know, all of this does funnel into a conversation of whether the Bengals will play. So we do want to kind of address some of that. Um, Joe Burrow has been spotted around town. He's looking very swole. Uh, so we're going to talk about, uh, you know, where we're at with that. Of course, everyone wants to know when Joe Burrow is going to sign T Higgins too. Uh, we'll kind of talk about that real quick. Um, the 53 man roster prediction story is out, uh, on the athletic, which by the way, we, uh, have a 40% off subscription deal going 40% off the yearly subscription. If you just click, just click on, you know, the athletic.com slash hear that podcast growling, or really on any of the stories you hear us talking about, uh, today, 53 man roster prediction, um, tomorrow, my Bengals war wins above the actual replacement on the team essentially the players the Bengals can least afford to lose both of those coming out so we're going to kind of jump through some of those decisions roster battles who are becoming the most important players on this roster things like that Jay has a story coming out on the plight of the undrafted and unproven player um what that means to guys not on this year necessarily on this year's team but guys that have 
taken advantage of it in the past, namely Alex Erickson, Trey Hopkins, um, and nobody knows about it better than Darren Simmons. You're going to hear uh, from all three of those players and coach um, who Jay spoke to for that story. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that side of things too. Uh, we got some Twitter questions that you have asked us. Thank you for sending them our way. Run passer boot, uh, a Joe Burrow run passer boot, which I think you're going to enjoy, although it will take us a lot of time till we actually can pay it off. But still, we've got that for you. So plenty to get to. That feels like a lot, Jay. It feels like we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't know if I have the energy to really do it. Pull me through. Pull me All through. Right. Let's start with this. Well, let, let's start, you know, since we last talked, I mean, the, the league and the PA came to a deal. Everything is set. Health and safety protocols have been put into place. Um, you have the economics have been set up. You know, all the specific details, we're all trying to kind of get a full grip on every last detail as it comes out. We're working through all of that. But, I mean, you know, the, the basics are known. We're going to have an extended ramp up here, no preseason games. You're going to have basically them just working out. No practices are really going to start off for a couple, till a couple of weeks, basically a week of practice in shells, which amounts to your mini camp. Um, and then full padded practices start on the 17th. Um, and you'll have max 14 of those heading up to the opener uh, against the chargers. So, Obviously, we discussed this a, a lot previously. Um, it's a tough year to be a rookie starting quarterback, <laughs> and the Bengals will fight this. How they will approach it, we will have to see. They're going to have to be creative again and come up with innovative ways to do this because um, you're trying to go through all these practices and get all these guys used to playing next to each other, and they're just not going to have many opportunities to really do that for real it's going to take some time into these regular season games to get Joe Burrow, the line, everybody kind of defense specifically on the same page. Yeah, the line is a big thing because you you could have a situation where every guy on that line has someone next to him that he's never played with before, and that's a big deal. That's that's what these preseason games are for. That's what OTAs are for is to start building that chemistry. We know it it's going to be the case with Jonah because he hasn't played yet. Um, what if, if Fred Johnson wins the right tackle job? I mean, there's there's so many questions about that line to begin with, and and that's just another one you add to it. And when I was talking to Trey Hopkins for the the story of, about the undrafted free agents and losing preseason games, I mean, he brought up a good point where the preseason's not a chance to kind of shake the rust off and, and get up to game speed, but it's about conditioning too. I mean, you can do all the conditioning drills you want to do in practice, but until you get out there and, and put together a 10-play drive and that type of thing, I mean, they're going to hit the field September 13th, average temperature of the last 10 Bengals week one home openers has been 80 degrees. That I, it It's just unfathomable to think that those guys are going to go out there and, and be at their best and be able to play 80 snaps in 80-degree weather uh, right off the jump, having no preseason games, um, there's just there, there's so many questions about that 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 all this leads to. Not just can an undrafted guy make the team with with no T OTAs and no no preseason. I love how you've always got that stat. Like you went and looked up the temperature of the last ten openers. I did, and I so and I misspoke, <laughs> so we need to correct that because the high was eighty. The average has been seventy three. 
So yeah, okay. But, sorry, yeah, yeah. But that's thank still, you for clarifying. That's hot weather for football, especially right. when you haven't done it yet. Um, but I did look that up, because, and you remember last year the Bengals, their home opener was in week two, um, but it was it was a scorcher. It was eighty one or eighty two degrees that day, and they had they had already committed to wearing all black. And and Zach wouldn't change his mind. He said, "We we embrace it, and we know yeah, we let's, know what let's happened. Hurt ourselves on purpose. <laughs> we know what happened in that game. They just got absolutely dump trucked by the 49ers. Yeah, uh, and they play on a short week in week two, right. at least at night, so it maybe wouldn't be as hot. But short week on the uh, with your first travel, um, which is always uh, an interesting dynamic. It's going to be." There's a lot going on there. I, I do want to talk about travel. We have the Marlins situation, and it's it's really hard to speak in podcast about this because by the it, everything changes so quickly, and there's meetings and and new developments and new cases, and you know, we've got a couple of games getting shut down. And the the most important part of this to to keep in mind when we're talking about what's happening in Major League Baseball is the NFL's need. And the importance of learning from what happens with major, these issues, these outbreaks, and fallout from that, and how it's handled in Major League Baseball. The the, the problem is, and we man, we've been saying this on this podcast forever. It was going to be all eyes on Major League Baseball and how that how they pull this off outside of the bubble um, for the NFL. Because if if Major League Baseball could pull it off and they don't see huge issues, then there's a fe- a very real feeling of confidence and momentum as the NFL would come in here. But if you see MLB not be able to pull it off, you have to start figuring out well how what do we need to change as a league how do things need to change in order to avoid the pitfalls and the problem that you're seeing and why the NBA bubble has been successful and really MLS came in with issues uh, early on but now they have now they've gotten everybody in the bubble and straightened out they're not having them you just the bubble's not happening and travel is such a huge issue and you wonder what will happen i mean how maybe maybe they they need to come up with solutions to deal with how they're traveling to these games, the advantage the NFL has is they can get in and out. They don't have to travel as much. You know, you take the buses to the charter, and you don't have to, and then you get on the plane and you fly. And you, the hotels are a problem. Maybe you start having teams fly in and out on the same day they play, and it's a competitive disadvantage. But if that means the season plays, then so be it. The the travel aspect is really going to be the issue, and and how what happens with MLB is going to be very important to watch as we see. You know what the NFL does as they try to pull this off too. And the thing is, with even with travel, when you're flying, you you're on a charter. It's it's everybody that's been in your building, but you still have flight attendants. You still have you still have other people that you don't know what they've done. They you know your team could be totally virus free, and then you have one flight attendant who has it, and then all of a sudden you got an outbreak on the team. Um, and same if they don't if they, I, I just I. I can't see them making teams fly in and fly out same day. That that, that just doesn't seem possible. But if the risk but, is in going anywhere outside of you know outside of to the stadiums and you know if that's the risk, I agree. I mean it's it, but it's like so many things. It's like would you rather do that or be like this season is unsustainable? If you're if if Major League Baseball and this is so this is speculative, but if Major League Baseball keeps having problems with teams that are traveling. Um, and having to stay in places for multiple days, um, you know, you you wonder what that what that 
what maybe adjustments would have to look like. There's some things you're going to have to do. Come to the understanding that this is competitive balance is not an aspect of this year. Like it's just playing, even if it's even if there's disadvantages, you know, it's just you got to kind of throw that out the window sometimes, and that may be the way that the NFL has to pull off their season is to come into terms with some things that are gonna maybe some uncomfortable conversations in a normal year of caring about the results um, and the fairness. It's like fair doesn't matter, play matters, find way to play, and I think that's going to be the interesting discussions as we see what happens with a. The re- the Major League Baseball season as it continues, and they de- how they deal with outbreaks, successfully or unsuccessfully, and what happens over these next month, when we have all of these players, no clubs, no indoor restaurants, no bars, no sporting no, events, you know, all these the no sporting events, which is ironic because they might try to put fans in the stadium, uh, but you know all of these things off limit things. How seriously are we going to see these players on this team? And all teams take this under with the understanding that they're jeopardizing their entire team if they don't follow them or they come in and bring that into the building. And, you know, it's going to be a critical month. I mean, a critical three weeks, really, once you get everybody in the building and practicing together and around each other to see where this stands as, you know, it's getting to week one. I, I keep telling people, I, I think it's almost as much about getting to week one as it will be about once they get started. I, I just think getting to week one, surviving a couple of weeks, once you do that, that's going to be the hard part. It's going to be figuring it out in the meantime. Yeah, and the the news today about the Marlins, the, the whole narrative has been, oh, this is bad news for the NFL. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is the wake-up call that players need. Yes, they put it put in place those – those punitive fines where, you know, if you, you don't get paid if you attend one of those high-risk, you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant, a sporting event, whatever it is, you, you catch COVID and you miss games, you don't get paid. I mean, this – what's happening in baseball, I mean, it, it, as if the last four or five months haven't been enough of a red flag, that could really make some of these young guys think twice about going out and taking those risks. The other thing about today is – you know, as bad as it is, 14 players for the Marlins, the the next couple days, maybe even the next week, what's really going to tell where this goes is how many of the Phillies end up with it. Because it's one thing to have an outbreak on one team, but if, if those teams playing a three-game series ends up with both teams with major outbreaks, then that's doom and gloom for the NFL because – Baseball is a fairly socially distant sport. You, you get to first, maybe you're, you have a little conversation with the first baseman. But football, it's every play. You're you're up against somebody, blocking, tackling, whatever it is. Um, that that's what I'm most interested to see is is where not how many more Marlins come down with it, but whether it's spread to the Phillies and then they have an outbreak and then then what happens? They they, they start forfeiting games. Uh, how, how do you deal with that on a on a you know short season anyhow where they each team only has six days off to begin with how do you make these games up um they're just this this whole first this whole week coming up is really going to tell a lot as far as what happens with football and what happens with the rest of baseball 
Yeah, I mean, ability to test and trace, the, the NFL advantage of only having to play one game a week. You don't scrub entire series um, while you're dealing with these and people are quarantining and stuff. Maybe to their advantage, the ability to maybe play less games, move games to bye weeks, have things at the back. They've got these, they've got these trap doors set in their season and things they can use later in the year and push things back that are at their advantage to 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 play to whatever situation arises you just have to they ha, they're going to have to be flexible and they're going to have to be willing to do some things that maybe are seen as slightly unfair i think that's what people have to remember is this season is not going to go off as normal it's not going to proceed as normal and there's going to be some situations that maybe your team gets screwed on like the one that we're talking about with the Bengals right now like no preseason games no real camp no off season you enjoy your rookie quarterback yeah that's, but do you want to watch him play? Yeah, I bet Bengals fans are pretty excited to watch Joe Burrow play, and that's kind of what um, everybody is is focusing on from the NFL side of things. Um, let's talk about Joe Burrow, who has showed up, and he has been working out, uh, apparently, that, at least doing it with Drew Sample and Sam Hubbard, um, who we saw. Also, Burrow spotted out on the town at Forno, quality restaurant over on the east side. He's already becoming an east sider. I hope he got carry out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, the the Hubbard Burrow one two combo uh, out of out town as they as they were you know those pictures surfaced at the Super Bowl in Miami they were both down there Hubbard and Burrow old school friends roommates at Ohio State Jay you wrote about that they, they were not um, Sam said that was a common misconception they were not roommates but they were they were very very close um, at, at okay. Ohio State very tight friends um, and so that that seems to continue as. Burrow hasn't had a chance to really meet anybody else yet. Uh, but he should be attacked. When will he sign, right? This is the question uh, that everybody has. Um, I'll go with soon. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't anticipate any issues. I don't think anybody anticipates issues with getting this deal done. It's just a matter. They've kind of, if you go back and you look historically, whenever the proper time has been to sign draft picks, which has changed over the years, um, in recent years, even as it's been slotted in, you know, they just, they typically, Bengals go down the line. It's a lot of times it's exactly down the line, seven, six, fifth round, fourth round, third, and then two, and eventually one or whatever. Um, typically that's sometimes the third rounder had some weird stuff for a couple of years there that would be last. And there, you know, I think the most money committed, the most possible issues that could pop up with not having the deal done on understanding what the future economics look like. You want to wait for that all to come through. Make sure you have a full understanding of the deal and what the, you know, the the cap, all the others, whatever is going to happen. I mean, you have a full understanding of that, then go and then get the papers signed for Higgins and Burrow. I would assume. If we're here next week and, and he hasn't signed yet, we, we need to be having a very real conversation about that. I, I don't anticipate that at all. He's in town doing the testing. Like, I, I, I don't anticipate any issue with him signing. He, he has not done it yet, but um, I, I, I don't think that'll be an issue. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of when, not if. It's, there, I, I don't, there, I, I'd be shocked if we got to next week and it's not been signed. It's just it's all these little minutiae matters within the contract. Everything, the, the, the base money, everything's pretty much slotted. And it's, it's not a big deal. This is a totally different year, obviously, with no OTAs and all that. But the Bengals' first-round picks uh, all the way back to 2013 to Tyler Eifert, every single one of them have signed after OTAs began. And that's what coming up this week 
essentially that's it's OTAs. They're conditioning. It's their first on-field stuff. It, it's not a big deal that they they haven't signed yet yet at this point. But you're right. If if we get to the next week and uh, it still hasn't happened, then it becomes a little bit of a concern. But it's still it, it feels like like I said when I started this is it, it's a matter of when, not if. That it's it guys just don't rookies don't hold out anymore. Um, there, there's little things that tie it up, but there's the the level of concern on Twitter seems to be way overrated, which I know seems weird for for Twitter to people to overrate it's issues. A very calculated, <laughs> yeah. rational place for things. Yeah, not boy, really swirling hot on a Monday morning. By the way, yeah. it is. Whew, it is. Twitter is smoking this morning. Uh, I try to I try to keep my distance sometimes. You just gotta you gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You know, yeah. It's just <laughs> unless you have a wager on when Joe Burrow's signing day is, there's really no reason to be concerned. It's it's gonna happen. Um, he's gonna be out there for the first team workouts. Just just be patient and, and wait and think. Find something else to worry about. There's plenty of other things to worry about right now. <laughs> really, if you're worried, if that's your primary worry, then you're living you're living a charmed life for sure. Charmed life. I hope people have have wagers on that. I'm sure they what do. Day, the signing pool. Yeah, that's got to be out there, right? You can bet on anything. Uh, <laughs> you can. Uh, let's uh, let's take a quick dive into the 53 man roster, and then we'll do some Bengals war after that. So, 53 man roster projection is up. And I, I sort of when I tweet this out, I. I think it's true, and I'm not claiming that I think I can hit 53 in this year of uh, unprecedentedness. Um, but if you took that factor out, this would be the year to try to go 53 for 53 because you have the Bengals have a much better feel for their roster. We have I, a good feel for how they feel about their roster, so I, I think we're pretty close to understanding their rationale and their rankings. And then there's a less chance of unproven player coming from off the radar and unseating or anybody or shaking anything up. So I don't think you're going to see us having that to worry about. All that stuff considered, I, I think we've got a pretty good feel for where things will fall when they open up against the Chargers. You can go and check out my 53-man up. Again, It's um, we have the 40% off the yearly subscription going. You can just go to the story. Uh, it's up on up on Twitter and, and go in there and, and you can get a subscription there. Um, but I, I where where did you did you di- first of all did you disagree with me anywhere, Jay? Um, slightly. I I think because of the the this new rule that they've baked in where you can have forty eight active on game day instead of forty six as long as numbers forty seven and forty eight are offensive linemen. Um, I, I could see them keeping 10 offensive linemen instead of nine. And, and, and I, I do think they are high on Isaiah Prince. I, I think we could see him making the team either in place of Alex Redman or in addition to Alex Redman. Um, another one at linebacker, I, I'm high on Marcus Bailey. I, I think he's going to make this team. Um, now, a lot of that depends. We have to see him and see how healthy he actually is after – the, the, the knee injury last year that ended his season at Purdue. But it just feels like, you know, had there been OTAs, he would have been way behind missing out on those. But now he's in the same boat with everybody else. And you saw all the draft experts saying, you know, he's he's a third, maybe fourth round pick um, if he doesn't have the injury at Purdue. The, the Bengals really kind of stole him with that gamble in the seventh round. And, 
and I think he makes it um, ahead of Austin Calitro. But again, it, it's a gamble, uh, or it's 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 a guess because you don't know where he's at health wise. But I just like I said, I'm high on that guy. I, I think he's going to make this roster. Yeah. I, so in a in a 55 man world, which is what the game day roster will be when they bring a couple of guys up on game days, Marcus Bailey's on it for me. And I actually originally had him on, but then I when I thought more about it, it was okay. They I don't think they have a problem getting to his practice squad. He does have an injury history. He could be trying to recover from. We'll see what happens with IR to return. By the way. Which there's lots of I don't know this that's again that goes into some of the specifics I'm not a hundred percent sure on right now how many guys that can be on IR return how long they're even gonna you know you can bring them back earlier per se for this year because of you know what what's gonna be going on with COVID but he could even be somebody for, I don't know we'll see what happens with Marcus Bailey how he looks um, and then you get into Calitro, who has extreme special teams value, a really good special teamer, who has played in the league before. You can plug him in. He's a veteran. He's he knows what he's doing. From from, from in this scenario, like if this would have been a normal offseason, I probably would have no. I think you would probably would give it to the pick and the guy they they liked and chose for a reason. But for me, in this scenario, trying to win games this year, I I, I could see them keeping Calitro for those reasons uh, that I mentioned. But again, I don't. You know, you're right. We haven't we haven't seen it. We don't know what Marcus Bailey looks like health wise. That's also part of this. Who knows? Maybe Jordan Evans will come out and and show that he's something that he hasn't been since he's been there. But I don't. I do not have him in yet either. Any other disagreements, or did you? The rest of it, you kind of feel like is pretty right on. Well, first going back to Bay, this is this is where the Bengals. There's an advantage in not having preseason games because, you know. Marcus Bailey's not going to have any film out there where some if they do try to sneak him to the practice squad, someone might claim him. The, the, the fact that he's not going to play in the preseason and that all 31 other teams passed on him for six rounds, uh, maybe it is a safer bet to, to get him to that the, the practice squad as opposed to having to keep him on the 53-man roster. Um, I, I'm still wondering um, at wide receiver if they keep seven just to keep Alex Erickson um, over you know in addition to Mike Thomas what you wrote was right with with the emergence of Brandon Wilson and Darius Phillips and what they can do in the return game that that really negates the impact that Alex Erickson can have but he's just done it for so long and been so dependable yeah he had the fumble against Seattle in the opener last year but but he's been really solid in that position when you do have injuries at wide receiver he's a guy that he's not going to come in and have a huge game but but all he does is make plays he, he and you throw it to him he's going to catch it he's always in the right spot um I I think I think there's a chance they now I don't know if I if they go seven wide receivers I don't know where they go light and especially because I've got them going heavy at offensive line too so I haven't really thought much about where where I'm going to take those other two spots from but um, I I do think there's a chance Alexson either beats out Michael Thomas um, or they keep seven and and he makes this roster as well. Yeah, I mean you can make lots of arguments for Alex Erickson who I bet if I went back and looked. I, at some point in a projection of a 53, maybe had him on the outside every single year he's been in the league. Can we do this every year with Alex Erickson? And he just, you know, and he would typically play himself in in preseason because he'd be good and he'd make plays in camp. He'd say, man, every time Erickson's out there, he makes plays. 
the staff does like him a lot. And, and I agree with him on all these things. But again, what you're saying, I mean, I'm already shorting only three tight ends. I'm short on offensive line. You're going to add an offensive lineman. Seven receivers is a lot to keep. Where does that come from? You know, are they – there's just – it does become limited spots. And if you're going to be the last receiver in the room, I feel like you, there needs to be some other value. And I don't you, – you know – you wonder what that is. Erickson, you know, the thing is he, he can be your slot backup to Tyler Boyd. Um, maybe best suited to be that. Um, but w- it's just when you take his special teams value away, you wonder um, if they feel like they have somebody who who really can maybe affect the game as a, as a receiver. Like I think they think Thomas can bring them real depth um, if, if they would go that direction instead. One other where I disagreed with you um... – Running back, I if they try to get Rodney Anderson to the practice squad, it's not happening. He he's just got way too much of an upside. Yeah, he's got that ugly injury history and just had the ACL in the preseason last year. But what practice squads are going to sixteen now? Someone's gonna someone's gonna take a chance on that guy. Um, well, I guess it doesn't matter if practice squads are sixty because if they if they claim him they off the put waivers, him on the they got to put him on the fifty three. That's true. Got to put him on the roster. But Samaj P. Ryan, I mean, he's he's really good on special teams. I don't know what he actually gives you. I mean, he he went back and forth with his team a couple times last year, where they what was it Miami signed him off the practice squad, and then the the Bengals stole him right back from Miami. Um, I, I could see Rodney Anderson being that that fourth running back uh, instead of Samaj P. Ryan, especially. If he looks good, again, it, it all comes down to health. But it's it's been almost a year. We see guys coming back from ACLs much quicker now. Um, Rodney Anderson's had it, it was the end of August when he, when he suffered it against the Colts in the preseason finale, and he looked terrific up until that point. So I, I think there's a good chance he's that fourth running back instead of P. Ryan. I'll say this: if Rodney Anderson is healthy and fully practiced for all 14 padded practices and whatever they are. Yeah. I, I, I say there's a pretty good chance that he is the fourth running back on the roster. I'm, I I don't know that that's going to be the case. You know, and I'm not saying he's going to get hurt. I'm saying that there's either, whether they're still easing him in or he's on, you know, trying to, you know, two on one off. Like he's still, you know, you know what I mean? I, I, if he's fully good to go and man, Rodney Anderson looks healthy. Yeah, I think he's that guy. I don't know if he's that yet, and and then, but we, again, have to wait. We haven't even seen these people walk in the building, much less um, see what they look like out there running around. A lot of these guys with injury history. Um, so anyway, you can you can dive into all if you want to look at all those choices uh, I have up there. You can uh, go over to the athletic. Thank you that are subscribers. If you're not, thirty day free trial also up, forty percent off the yearly subscription. All the good stuffs there for you if you want it. Uh, also, will be up for you is going to be my Bengals war. So, wins above replacement. Uh, who is the most valuable? Who can they least afford to lose? So, you know, the, you know, the baseball wins above replacement, but that's above a street free agent. This is above the actual replacement that they have to bring in. It judges depth. It judges talent. It judges most important to in the entire dynamic of the team and winning. Um, so Jay, who have not seen it yet. I wrote this hasn't posted yet as we talk. So you haven't seen it yet. Um, you tell me your f- top five 
and I will then tell you where I'll tell you the 10 I have. Okay, I, number one, I'm going Joe Burrow. Yeah, uh, yes. we haven't seen him throw a pass, but we have seen Ryan Finley. And <laughs> that that's a that's a huge drop, you assume, just based on what we know Burrow did in college. And so I, I think he's number one. Um, I'm going to go AJ number two. We saw it last year. He, he misses the whole year. They go two and 14. He wasn't the sole. His absence wasn't the sole reason they went two and 14 last year. Um, he is older. He's he hasn't played in a year and a half. But I I still think he's valuable enough that I would I would put him at number two. Slightly ahead of Jonah Williams. Again, something we saw last year. Jonah didn't play at all, and look what happened. Another guy like Burrow that we've never seen play in a game, but I, I just feel that position, left tackle, the fact that he's a first-round pick, um, the, the what the coaches have told us, um, that the, the, the belief they have in him, um, he would be my three. Um, four, I'm going Geno, and again, he's getting older. Um, not the player that he once was, but I, it, they don't have another guy like that on the interior. They've got some solid defensive tackles, but you, you, you don't have that, that pass rushing defensive tackle. D- DJ reader, I, I don't think is going to be in the, the Geno mold. He's going to be more of a run stop or he, yeah, he can get in the, in the backfield and disrupt, but he's, he's not Geno Atkins. So I think that that one would be my fourth. And then number five, at the risk, maybe I've overlooked someone, but I I went through this. um, It's kind of a tie between Jesse Bates and Von Bell. I think the safety position is so important right now, and they they don't have great depth there. You've got Sean Williams sitting back there. Um, that, that, That mitigates losing one of those guys. But I still think both of those guys, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, have a chance to be real playmakers and impact players on this defense. And um, it it feels like there would be, even with Sean Williams' history, there would be a a pretty considerable drop if you were to lose one of those guys. Okay. Very interesting. So, yes, uh, we agree on the top two. Okay. Uh, I have Burrow one at three and a half games and A.J. Green two at two games. Um, difference, which is just sort of a made-up number, but trying it when you're trying to really gauge it, but uh, just to try to give a ranking. Number three, you had Jonah. I I do not have him in the top ten. Wow. And and here's why. I don't know how good Jonah Williams is yet, and he is still a guy in his first year. Sh- should he be very good? I think all hope and expectation is that he will be. We don't know that yet. I also, you know what? It was a small sample size. But I saw Fred Johnson play left tackle for a game and a half last year, and he looked pretty good. And at least he looked serviceable. I think at least serviceable. Um, where you're not feeling like you did last year when you lost Jonah and Cordy Glenn. Um where it's you now you're you know you're in the John Jerry world, and so I, I think they avoid the massive fall off and the uncertainty over how good Jonah Williams actually is yet. I mean, I just I have a hard time banking on somebody who I've never seen play. I say that with Joe Burrow number one, but I think it's different with him. Um, 
I just I have a harder time with that. I, I want to I'd like to have a little bit more of a known quantity. Um, you know, quarterback is a different beast. So that's so that's the reason for that. I have DJ Reader three, and my my reason being, you know. You know they they have Tupo and Rennell Wren behind them. Who, who Tupo played better than people give him credit for. He's one of the more underrated Bengals, to be honest. Um, and Rennell Wren, who knows? I mean, he's big. We'll see if he's ever going to be good at football. Um, I just think there is so much dependence on DJ Reader making everybody better. His ripple effect to me is the difference. I think he can be a pass rusher. You know, pass rush productivity from him last year was not far off. Uh, Gino Atkins. People might not realize that. Um, you know, Gino was up there amongst interior defenders. I think he PFF had him for like I think fifteenth or so in pass rush productivity. Reader was like twentieth in the league. I mean, he was not far behind him as far as just pure pass rush. And we know what Reader was. Maybe one of the best, if not the best, run stoppers in the game. I think there's a lot of dependence on Reader to make himself better, and that ripple effect out to Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard and everybody else. Um, I think missing him would expose some of the plan for what they want this new defense to look like. So that's why I have him three. Four, you had Gino. I had Gino in there for the things that you were reading what I had written. <laughs> uh, as much as he's losing the battle with Father Time and he's not who he used to be, they don't have anybody like him. They just don't have a dynamic three technique. After him, I don't know if Ryan Glasgow is going to be a healthy guy. I don't, I don't know if you know, move Andrew Brown in there. I mean, they there's just there's no way they can do what even a uh, uh, diminished Geno Atkins can do, and they need that a lot. So that combo of Reader and Atkins I have up there, and at number four I have Tyler Boyd. Here's I got I have a Jay's got stats. I've got stats. Okay, all right. Consider this stat line. Would you consider this a good season? 98 receptions, 1,240 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Would that be a good season? That would be an awesome – is that his last 16 games? That is his first eight games of 2018, the only time in Tyler Boyd Prime played with A.J. Green. Okay. Was first eight games, extrapolate it, double it up. That's what it would have been. 98 receptions. For 1,240 yards and 10 touchdowns if you made extrapolated that eight-game slot out to a 16-game season. Nobody, maybe even more than Joe Burrow, nobody will benefit more from A.J. Green being out there, even if he's 90%, 85% A.J. Green, than Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd has been fighting double teams for the last year and a half and been still killing it. And he's able to work in the slot against one-on-ones. He will destroy that all day. And Joe Burrow, look at his connection with Justin Jefferson at LSU. Played a lot in the slot. Boyd, very similar type players. You, I see Tyler Boyd, fantasy alert, woo-woo, fantasy alert. Tyler Boyd being the guy to watch to put up the huge numbers because of A.J. Green's return. That half season they played together was Boyd's coming out and he has not been able to basically see games of one-on-one since so having the combo what can really anchor this team is the passing game with Burrow Green and Boyd and the pass rush ripple effect of Reader and Geno I think those guys all playing a 
with each other will be the back will have to be the backbone of this team and how many games they'll actually win. So when when I was going through this and I wrote down my five, I I, I had two just on the outside. Well, really three if if you say you know Bates Bell, whichever one of those wasn't going to be my five. But I, I had two other guys, and Reader was one of them. And the other one, I'm curious. I don't know if you want to give away your whole top ten, but I'm curious. No, I'll give it away. Uh, if you had Trey Hopkins in there, because based on what Billy Price has done so far, and and Hopkins wasn't all pro material last year, but he was really good in his first year as a center. I I had him just on the outside of that top five. I mean, Billy Price was a first-round pick. I still think Billy Price is a starting center in this league somewhere. I do not think there is a insane fall-off if Trey Hopkins gets hurt because you do have Billy Price still here. So I didn't put Trey on that list. As much as I think Trey has earned that and is a good player and a big part of what they want to do, Billy Price still can play some center in this league. It's not like they don't have anybody serviceable behind him. They have a dude who just a couple years ago was a first round pick and when you know hasn't really had a huge chance to play center. So that's why I don't I don't have him on there. Um I have Bates for you six. I don't have Bell because he, here's why. Bates and, and you know Bell and Sean Williams are more of the same type. Yeah. You know, more of a box type safety. They don't have another Jesse Bates. They don't have another play the single high, range sideline to sideline, anticipate the picks, more of the center fielder. You know, Williams and Bell are more of the playing up types. Now, you know, they're gonna they're asked to do both, but I mean so to me, you lose Bell, you have Sean Williams, who has, you know, you know what he can be. Maybe he's he's a fall off, but I don't think a drastic one. He's a starting caliber safety. Um you lose Bates, they don't I don't like that's bad. They don't they don't have anybody that can do anything near what Jesse Bates does, and they're really counting on him to be a playmaker. So then I get into. Let's see if I haven't mentioned anybody. You met, I got everybody you mentioned. I have Jermaine Pratt next. I mean, do I think Jermaine Pratt is going to be incredible? No, but he's the only thing you can even count on potentially to play three downs. Now you got rookie Logan Wilson, who's this year's Jermaine Pratt, in you know third round linebacker, uh, who Jermaine Pratt took a long time to get better. They need him to be that guy. Not only does he need to be good, he like he needs to be out there at all. Uh, and so they they need him to just take a next step and be out there. Other way, Josh Bynes is your run stopping. He's not a three down guy. You know, Akeem Davis Gaither's a rookie. Like, wh- who's out? You're you're just back where you were last year without Jermaine Pratt. Yeah. True, and without Jermaine Pratt taking a step, so I think it's really critical that he is is there. So I have him on there. I have Michael Jordan eight. Now, I know it's kind of weird. It's the same concept. Need it's very similar paths. Need to take the next step. I don't know what they have behind them. I, are we gonna? You know, you're gonna throw Alex Redman back out there again. Maybe they'd make a move where they put Billy Price at center and move Trey Hopkins over to guard since Price struggled so mightily at guard last year. You know, I don't know what that mishmash is behind them, but they need Jordan to take a step and be there because the fall off, if they're not, you end up in more of these offensive line troubles, particularly interior offensive line troubles, which could be real problems for Joe Burrow. Uh, I have Mackenzie Alexander. I, I don't see them having a lot of help in the slot. We saw the big difference when Darquez Nard came back last year. They really, really settled down that defense because they were struggling to fill the slot. Mackenzie Alexander, I think, will be very good. 
and I don't see them having a whole lot of answers behind him. No one else has really played the slot behind him on this team. I guess they're going to put Darius Phillips in there. I mean, he played 13 of his 104 last year. We're in the slot. It's not. We've seen him. I don't think that's where he belongs in this league. Uh, and then I have Sam Hubbard um, and Carlos Dunlap, kind of like 10 and 11. Hubbard a little is a little bit more of that young core leadership, I think, than Carlos is. I, I would I think Sam Hubbard will end up with a C on his chest this year. And so for that, I put him a little bit ahead. Notable omission. Joe Mixon, mm-hmm. William Jackson. You know, I just the Mixon thing goes back more to the running back position as a whole. How many wins do you really win? Or, you know, how much how many losses will you actually take on because you didn't have Joe Mixon versus Giovanni Bernard or Travion Williams? I don't know, probably more dependent on the line. Um Mixon can be a game changer, obviously, depending on how you use him, obviously. Um, but for the way I think they will use him, I you know, he's he's still important, but I don't I don't even have him in my top ten. And then William Jackson, I just think, you know, they've got some decent backups there. You know, I, I LaShawn Sims I liked as a backup signing. Trey Waynes you have there. Darius Phillips, I you know, I think is obviously high upside people seeing Darius Phillips play more. He's the fourth corner right now. They they have better depth there this year than they did in the past, and there's still obviously concerns about his inconsistency. So that's that's kind of my list that I have. If people want to read more about that and some of the ins and outs, you can do that uh, at the Athletic. Yeah, I was the same was, way with it, Mixon. It, I didn't I didn't yeah. even consider him for my top five. Now maybe if I'd done ten, I might have snuck him in there at the end. But you're right; it, it's just the position. It's nothing. It's not a knock on Joe. Um, you can stick Giovanni Bernard in there, and and there's not going to be a a huge fall off. Um, I, the, the Hubbard thing's interesting. The Hubbard and uh, and Dunlap thing, because I guess we just haven't seen enough of Carl Lawson as a three down guy. You, you wonder if, if one of those guys were to go down, what if if Lawson could hold up and and be a, a three down guy coming off the edge? I don't I don't know if he he could do if he would be that great against the run on on first and second downs. Um, but if they, if he was thrown into that position, it'd be interesting to see what that would look like. And I, I've said this before. I think your best chance of you seeing them using that number one waiver spot on, would be on a defensive end. I mean, I, I still think they're looking to add there, um, potentially find a guy that could, for exactly what you're talking about, kind of step in if you had an injury or an illness to Dunlap or Hubbard because, I, you know, Law, yeah, Lawson is a three. I don't think they envision him that way. They want him to be in there getting the pass, getting the pass, or go in there, pass rush. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see, see if that happens. I think there's a chance of that. Um, okay, let's talk about you know what a big part of no preseason games and limited practices is what happens to those guys that are sort of you know. Uh, breakout in camp, breakout in the offseason, guys. And you've got a story coming out of this, and you have, uh, you know, take me a little bit through the background and, and kind of some of the stuff that you found out in, in the writing of this story and some of your impressions. Yeah, the, the one thing that – because I, I thought for sure that Darren Simmons would be the guy most against the, the roster cut down from 90 to 80, uh, and, and he went the opposite way. He, he said that if we're not playing preseason games, it's better that we only have 80 because we need to evaluate these guys and we need to evaluate them hard, and the, the less we have to look at, the better. 
And realistically, you know, if 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 you're taking the cut from 90 to 80, your chances of proving yourself and and you know, if you're coming into camp as the number 82, 83 guy, your chances of making the 53 are pretty pretty extreme anyhow. But um, I did. Think- but they, but they weren't here for the off season though, right? So right. that you in the theory would be in mini camp, and the OTAs would have been when we would have moved yourself from what eighty eight to seventy five. Like it's the whole process of the off season. These guys lose hurts them hurts them too. Yeah, if you come and show up at camp and you're eighty five, yeah, you're you know you're in trouble. And the, I mean, we always talk about because this is Alex Erickson did it, Trey Hopkins did it. They they prove themselves. You know, Alex Erickson when he when he came in, he was on nobody's radar. He was probably in that eighty to ninety range, and then he he started earning some opportunities in in OTAs, and then he he gets thrown in there as a well. Let's see what he can do in the fourth quarter on a punt return um, of the first preseason game, and he takes it eighty yards for a touchdown. It's like oh hey, and then the next week they give him a chance in the fourth quarter, throw him in a thirty yard. So then Darren Simmons says let's let's see what he can do. They throw him in with the starters, and he has a thirty nine and an eighteen yarder and a twenty one yard touchdown catch. Uh, in that third, you know, the, the most important preseason game, and that's when he won the job. Um, I thought it was interesting because they, they've had a number of these guys that have, have made their name in the preseason, and a lot of them don't make the 53. Trey Hopkins didn't because he got hurt in that third preseason game. A lot of them just earn the spot on the practice squad and, and then end up working their way up on the roster. And one of the guys that – that Darren Simmons kept going back to was Dan Scuda, and maybe some younger fans don't remember him, but he was a rookie in 2009, and in OTAs, like he just he just totally impressed Simmons. He he knew everything. He was perfect in his technique. He was awesome in meetings. He was they're like holy cow, we have something really special here. And then they get to the first preseason game, and Simmons said he went completely haywire. He just lost his mind, and you know that that's part of the preseason too, is seeing what these guys if they can slow their thinking down, if they can slow their breathing down, if if it's not too big for them, and they're thinking Scoot is really something, and he he just completely craps the bed in that first preseason game. But they didn't give up on him. They did. They got him through on the practice squad, and then about six weeks into that rookie year, he, he works his way up to the to the main 53-man roster and is a, a special teams demon. And he goes on and has an, an eight-year career. He signed this crazy five-year, $20 million contract after he left the Bengals to, to play with the Jaguars, and he didn't play that out. But it just goes to show what what can be done with these, these undrafted guys. We've seen Vinny Ray. Um, the, the list just goes on and on with with guys that have been undrafted and proven themselves in OTAs and, and preseason games and, and carved out pretty nice careers and that they're not going to get that chance this year, obviously, with with no preseason game, no preseason games and having already missed all of OTAs except for the virtual work. Well, I do think we should bring in a, a little bit of a couple of the interviews that you did. You know, Alex Erickson, Trey Hopkins, Darren Simmons all had really interesting things to say. Just wanted to bring in little snippets uh, of each of those three from your interviews for people to hear as you kind of look get the perspective of what a lot of the guys on the bottom end of the roster are, are thinking and, and how this stuff kind of uh, plays out. Now, so bring that and we'll come back come back real quick and answer a couple of questions from Pastor Boot and get out of here. So here's uh, Alex Erickson, Trey Hopkins, and special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. Obviously, you 
you proved right away that, that you belong and you've continued to prove that over the last four years. But when you, when you got here as an undrafted guy, did, did, did you have any kind of sense of, you know, where you were in that hierarchy from, from 53 to 90? No, you have no idea. And, you know, sometimes it just comes down to sheer needs of the positions on the team, whether you're, you know, you're not, you're not the 90th guy in the roster, but, you know, they need to keep an extra lineman or defensive back or it may be. So they got to get rid of a receiver. So that's where they go. And they, they picked a guy, uh, you know, they, they're obviously going to take a guy that's undrafted off and a guy that's, uh, hasn't proved he can play in the NFL yet. So, um, which you can't blame them. They no, no choice really. So yeah. it just sucks that guys won't have the opportunity. Cause that's all you ask for is a competitor. is a guy coming out. It's just, just an opportunity to show you can play. And, um, you know, if it, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. But at least you had the opportunity to do that, and um, there's no regrets when you, you get an opportunity to do that. So that's that's the unfortunate part. You know, not just those 81 to 90 guys, but you know, you look at the the 55 to 80. Um, they're they're in a tough spot too, with with no preseason games, um, and that's that's really where you made your mark right off the bat. It, it, yep. do, do you think about that at all when you hear there's not going to be preseason games? Does your mind go back to your rookie year? Of like, well, yeah, gosh, what would have happened if if I didn't have preseason games? Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, practice is one thing, but, you know, the game, you know, that's when you got to be able to turn it on. And that's where you make the team is the preseason games. And for those guys that are on the back end of the roster, they're not going to have the opportunity. So it's going to be really hard for them. And um, even if it's not making this team, you know, at least you got four games to show what you can do. And there's 31 other teams that see that film. And so it just opens up doors for, you know, doors for that. But, so, yeah, I, I definitely do think back. I think back if I wouldn't have a preseason, um, I obviously wouldn't have made the team that year. And then who knows? I you know I might be working somewhere else right now. So mm-hmm. it's just crazy how that, that trickle effect happens. And, you know, I hope guys that, you know, didn't get an opportunity this year, I hope that they stay trained and stay ready and that they get opportunity next year. And, um, you know, and if they're – and they make the most of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I definitely do think back to that and – uh, it's going to be a lot of missed opportunities for, you know, not even those guys, but, you know, opportunity for us guys, too, that are, um, you know, played in the NFL a couple of years. You know, it's just another chance to sharpen your sword and, and improve on your own game. So, you know, we're missing out on opportunities that way as well. So um, it's uh, it sucks for it sucks for everybody involved, really. I assume you saw the, the news last night where the, the rosters are probably going to go from 90 to 80. Um, did did that like trigger anything in your memory and make make you think, gosh, what what would have happened had there been no preseason games and shorter rosters when I came out? Well, I was I was actually just talking to my agent about this two days ago and just saying like, I mean, it, it's a it's a really rough time for rookies in general, but then also, I mean, undrafted guys, I couldn't even imagine. Come into a, a year like that, it, it just has to be a, a, a really just tough time for some of these guys. I mean, you have didn't even get a chance to have a, a pro day mm-hmm. um, at their schools, and then you get get opportunity where a team is still bring you in, and you don't get a, a true OCAs. Which, speaking from experience, I mean, can can really boost where you are with the team, just showing if nothing else, that you can comprehend and, and grasp a playbook and sometimes just how fast you can grasp the playbook and, and do the right things on the field and make those right decisions before you put the pads on 
really gets you to gets gets you to stand out amongst other people that are fighting for those jobs. So not having that is already rough and then and then coming into a year with no preseason games, it'll be difficult for them, for the guys that are, are lucky to still be around a place and it'll it'll just be tough to really to really show what you can do outside of having game film. And then even besides that, how do you, how do you, our guys, I mean, obviously every undrafted guy doesn't make the exact team that they go through training camp with, but normally you have some kind of preseason film to shop yourself around and for other teams to get to see you. And without that, you kind of wonder how it's going to work for those guys. I mean, it's definitely, I can't imagine really a rougher scenario um, to, to come into the league with this. I, one one thing that I think maybe gets o- overlooked a little bit is just the whole camaraderie and mentorship aspect of it. Um, was that possible at all this this spring? Like, you know, after a Zoom call, would any of the rookies reach out to you or with questions, anything like that? Or was that those kind of locker yeah. room conversations just lost? Well, yeah, you get – I mean, you get the, the questions, of course, about the plays and things like that and, and rookies wanting to know. And, I mean, all that stuff is great. But, yeah, there definitely is a, a bit of the camaraderie lost. I mean, we, we still have time in, in the Zoom calls and Zoom meetings to kind of, you know, make some jokes here and there and, and, and talk a little bit about stuff other than football. But you definitely don't get those, like, little 15, 20 minutes in the locker room, like, face-to-face and just kind of joking around and stuff where you really get to know guys. Um, that, that part is definitely was, was missed. Um and, and it, it, does, it does play a role, um, especially in a group like the O-line where you really you really need to know and you want to know the guys that you're playing next to and it, and it definitely makes a difference and it helps. Um, that that part was missed and there's nothing we can do about that. But as we get back in the building, just you know, as much as we can, pick up, pick up, where we, uh, pick up where we are, you know? The news, I guess, was a few nights ago. I guess it's not official yet, but it looks like they're going to go from 90 to 80. Just what what your initial reaction to that was? Well, um, there's a couple different ways to think of it, I think. Um, uh, You know, if you're you're not going to have preseason games, um, I think that uh, – it's probably okay um, because I, I think the most difficult thing we're going to have to do is, is evaluate competition, and we're, and we're going to have to have a very competitive training camp. You know, sometimes it's different. You know, obviously with with eighty players, um, it, it, with ninety players, it's difficult to get everybody reps, whether it's in practice or in games. It's just it's just tough to get a true, honest evalu- evaluation. But yet at the same time, you're trying to build cohesiveness amongst a certain group of guys. And I think that's us, that's what's always unique about a special teams coach is I got to try to, you know, uh, I think I've said it before, have a, a bit of a crystal ball. And that's why my communication with the head coach and uh, is, is very important, too, about who who do we see? What do you who do? You, how do you envision some of these competitions working out? Or here are a group of four guys that we got to that we got to feature in preseason games and let them play a lot. So it sorts itself out. Well, we don't have that. Uh, now, so I, I think there's a couple things. A practice um, and the comp- competitiveness in practice is going to be huge. Um, we, we have to try to find a way to ramp up the competitiveness in practice. 
you know, I think a lot of guys, as you prepare for a season, um, especially some of the veteran players, I, I think they know they've got to get enough of the competition in. But yet sometimes I get the sense that's, that they save it for games a little bit, quote-unquote. You know, and, and frankly, you do have to a little bit because you don't want to risk injury. Um, but to get an honest an honest look at a lot of these, you know, bottom third of the roster players, we're going to have to create competitive situations to, to get a, a good look at them. You know, and that's and I so I think with eighty, um, that probably helps out a little bit. We can we can focus on a group of players more, uh, but yet at the same time, those ten guys who aren't uh, who we may or may not have, um, if they reduce it from ninety down to eighty, um, those ten guys are you know you could find a diamond in the rough you know amongst those guys. Now somebody somebody could bubble up that you didn't think could bubble up or, or that would bubble up. You know, we we've had a lot of college free agents that come in and, and play really well in the preseason and earn a spot on our practice squad, you know, and then get eventually get brought up. They're just not ready yet for full the full tilt. You know, Dan Scooter will be one of those guys that, that mm-hmm. comes to mind that, hell, this year he may not have gotten an opportunity. If they do reduce the roster to 80, he may not have been in the top 80 initially. Um, and I think it becomes even harder when you haven't had any uh, – you know, really hands-on contact with these guys throughout the spring. I mean, that makes it even worse. <laughs> that makes it even more tough. It, 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 this year would be would would uh, not be the best or most opportune time to be a college free agent. All right. Much thanks to uh, those guys for taking some time. Look, I'll look for that story again uh, coming up this week here uh, on the Athletic. Um, Two, let's do two tw- Twitter questions real quick and then a run passer boot and we'll roll. Uh, all right. First one from at Lothman Mike. Mike Lothman. Are you surprised Darquez and Dre are still unsigned? Are you? Um, I'm not because they're not the only, you know, quote unquote big name guys that aren't unsigned. It's just this weird. Off season, you you got guys like Jadavion Clowney and Logan Ryan, um, plenty of Larry Warford still out there, um, Devonta Free, Devonte Freeman. There's there's guys that are gonna get signed, and I think both of those guys are in that group. Um, and, and Darquez got signed, and then it fell through, and and now he's he's on the street again. Um, so I'm not I'm not totally surprised just because of the weirdness of 2020. Um, if if we get to September and neither one of those guys are signed, I'd be stunned. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I, yeah, it'd be different if like we had seen a, a rash of free agents signing. We just we just haven't seen that yet. So when a lot of those guys will all get swooped up as things get going and people get a better sense of the uh, the landscape, and that's why you know. Uh, Team Larry Warford out there still wondering if the Bengals might end up him. I would not give up on that just yet. Um, let's go one more question here uh, from my good friends at the Sports Intoxication Podcast, which I have been on, and I need to get on again. Plan on doing that. Um, so new Bengals you're most excited to see, excluding Joe Burrow. Jonah Williams, Von Bell, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, T. Higgins, rookie linebackers. DJ Reader, Xavier Suofilo, who are you most excited to see? Hmm. I, I'd say Von Bell. Well, DJ Reader is up there as well, but Von Bell, I just I want to see 
how big of a difference. We've seen Sean Williams for so long. I, I want to see how big of a difference there is with a guy like Von Bell. And you, you've got a guy that's a winner. He's been in the playoffs every year. Um, I, I just I, – I, he has those intangibles. Sean's a great leader. We, we talk about what a warrior he was a couple years ago when he was he was hurt and, and playing through all these horrible injuries. Um, but I, I just – I have a feeling that, that Von Bell is really going to – kind of take control of that defense and you mentioned Sam Hubbard maybe having a captaincy um, I, I think that's more likely than Von Bell as a first year guy but I I do think Von Bell is is gonna be a key clubhouse and on the field guy this year as, as a new new entry on this roster I'll agree with you on, on about Von Bell I mean I I, I... I think he will be. He's maybe his impact is being underrated when people talk about the Bengals additions. I don't hear his name at the top often enough. I think it'll be a big difference. I would say if you're excited by offensive line play, Jonah Williams should probably be who you're most excited to see. It's. I'm not against good offensive line play. I am I excited to see it. I don't know. I'm ever excited to see like blocking, right? I am excited to see potentially DJ Reader blowing some people up like that. I'm excited to see that ripple effect I talked about earlier. I, look, T. Higgins, I, I think, has the potential to be a real guy and be a real guy quick. And I'm excited to see what he looks like, uh, how quickly he looks like he can be somebody. That, to me, would be pretty exciting to see when you would put him alongside A.J. Green uh, and Tyler Boyd. All right. Uh, run, pass, or boot, and we'll get out of here. Jay, run, pass, or boot. We have our Mike Sando, our our colleague who does the incredible, he does many incredible things, but my one of my favorite pieces all year, every year, is his QB tiers. Talks to 50 different GMs, executives, coaches, scouts, coordinators, whatever, uh, and they all rank every all the quarterbacks in tiers one through five to get a feeling for where they all see the best quarterbacks in the league. It's incredible stuff. Just great insight, totally insider. Um, you can't get anywhere else. That is up now on the Athletic. Uh, you can go. It's on our Bengals homepage if you want to go there. Uh, th- but anyway, th- so there's rookies are not put on there. So Joe Burrow not tiered yet. Um, however, there are some. You have recent rookies. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is not a rookie. He was, but he's some young guys that are up there towards the top that have moved their themselves up there. Um, you get into, you know, Lamar Jackson's up there in tier two. Uh, some of the younger guys who you've seen this from them in the past. Um, it, Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, I'll read a piece of this. Very few quarterbacks of coming off their rookie seasons have polled as well as Murray did this year. Um. He is one of 17 quarterbacks drafted since 2013 to appear in the quarterback tiers coming off their rookie seasons. Of those, only Prescott at 2.52 average and Baker Mayfield 2.53 pulled higher than the 2.68 average for Murray this year. Murray, Prescott, and Mayfield all ranked 14th overall at this stage. So you're, you know, when we talk a lot about Joe Burrow expectations, like what could that look like? The really the best we've seen from the true insider feel is is about 14th best is what you can be viewed at after your rookie year. That's the best that we've seen. So, Joe Burrow, next year in Mike Sando's tiers. Second tier, third tier, fourth tier. Run, pass, or boot? Um, I will I will run with three, tier three, just because it, it seems like that's that's where 
these guys go after their their rookie year. I mean, Kyler Murray's right. You know, he was the number one overall pick that comes off his rookie year. He's in tier three. Um, it just feels like that's the most likely landing spot for him. The the real question here is the pass. Is it two or four? Um, and, and I'm gonna go two. I just I can't see Joe Burrow having such a ho- horrible year where they they would you would even just discount the potential and stick him in tier four. So I'll, I'll, I'll run with three, I'll pass on two and I'll boot four. I disagree slightly. Uh, I am going to run with two. I, for the, I, so much of this is based on how you view them coming into this year. And so much of this upcoming year is going to be about Joe Burrow's progress. I believe by the end of the season, we will start to see what Joe Burrow can really be. I think you will see the progression. It's going to take time, no preseason, no offseason, all that stuff, rookie quarterback. It's going to take time to really get him. But I think by the, in the second half of the season, in the back half, you're going to start to see him become a guy. I really do. And because of that, I think when you're talking about next year's tiers, I, I see him being up there with the same hype and the same idea of what you saw for after a very good season from Baker Mayfield and Dak Prescott as rookies up in that 2.5 average, you know, tier two, and where they have Murray now. So I'm, I'm going to run with two. I'm going to pass on three, and I'm going to boot four. I, I, I think that we'll see him up there next year. That's, that's my thought. You know, only the entire future of the franchise depends on it. Uh, <laughs> so very little at stake here, very little at stake. Um, all right, well, I think that about wraps us up. Thanks, everybody that's hung with us. We, of course, uh, just to remind everybody, uh, you can get 40% off your yearly subscription to The Athletic right now, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling, or really go to any of the stories we've been talking about here uh, today and the the click-through, you you will see the 40% off opportunity there if you want. If you've been thinking about subscribing, all the sports are starting back up. We've got people everywhere. Um, you know, you want to, you're like, the time is now to do it. Let's go come on board hope to have you and if you're not a subscriber um you know keep hope you keep listening to the podcast we love having you on so thanks everybody for listening hopefully next week we won't be sitting here talking about if joe burrow is going to sign just for everyone's sanity uh otherwise we'll talk to you next week on hear that podcast crowd have a good one everybody